We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I hope you had a chance to check out the white paper that I mentioned last episode at pages.jethrojones.com. Today I'm announcing a webinar that I'd like to invite you to that will help you figure out how to deal with the collective trauma we've all experienced and get support for adapting to what you see next year as you start a new school year. Please join me at jethrojones.com webinar. That's jethrojones.com webinar. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have on the podcast today, Robert Quinn. Uh, He's spent the last 40 years doing research, publishing, teaching, consulting, and speaking. And he is the Margaret Elliott Tracy Professor Emeritus at the University of Michigan, Ross School of Business. And he focuses his writing on purpose, leadership, culture, and change. And um, he's published 18 books. One of them is Deep Change, which is one of the great books out there. And Ryan Gottfriedson, who is on um, the podcast uh, a couple of times now, said that uh, Deep Change is one of the best books that he has ever read. So that's uh, that's quite an endorsement from someone who wrote one of the best books I've read. So I'm excited to have Bob on the program today. Bob, welcome to Transformative Principle. Thank you so much. I'm just delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. And there are so many things that we could talk about and I don't know exactly where <laughs> where this conversation is going to go or how much we are going to be able to talk about but there's there's a lot that we could talk about so I'm going to start with talking about 
change first. And you you say in the book, Deep Change, that uh, there's deep change or there's slow death. Can you talk to us about the, those two sides of the coin and what that what our choices are there? Every living system from one cell organisms to you and I as complex human beings to social systems like a school are living systems. And as individuals, our conscience is always calling us to change. It may be an intellectual change. You need to learn more. It may be a physical change. You know, I felt the impression a number of times in recent months, you need to lose weight. My response is, don't bother me. <laughs> um, so it could be physical. It could be spiritual. It could be social. That is, in order to flourish, you and I need to change all the time. And as human beings, we have a mechanism that is calling us to that. Organizations are living systems within dynamic living systems. And they're being called to change. And during the pandemic, schools have been called to change in many, many, many ways. We all recognize that. Well, the process never stops. When we deny change, and that's a very natural thing to do, you know, the people on this podcast are going to be very interested in learning. And one of my favorite terms that I've coined is knowledge is the ungrateful child of learning. That is, the minute learning turns into knowledge, my incentive is to stop learning. And I have a confirmation bias. I don't want my beliefs changing because I don't want to do the work of learning. And uh, so there's a natural tendency on my part, on your part, and on the part of a whole organization like a school to deny the need for change. And we go to great lengths to do it. We're very, very good at it. But as we deny that need for change, we begin to experience slow death. The school is slowly dying. You and I are slowly dying. If we're not renewed by making a change, uh, we just continue on that route to slow death. And with each additional step, it gets more painful. Uh, and so all day, every day, we're all facing the deep change or slow death dilemma. And we spend a lot of time on the road to slow death. Yeah. And, you know, if we take that um, analogy further, then eventually everything is going to die, or at least our part in that is going to die. And one thing that I think is really fascinating, especially in the education system, is that as employees in a system, you are a cog in a machine and the machine is just going to keep going. And so sometimes the, the change needed is so great that you don't want to take that step to make change because it seems so insurmountable because everything is just moving on. I mean, a teacher or a principal or a superintendent leaves and a pandemic happens and those kids still need and get educated whether it's good or bad or not, doesn't matter to the machine. The machine just keeps happening. How do we approach change when we're confronted with something that is so uh, seemingly insurmountable? That's probably, that's one version of probably the most frequently asked question. Uh, 
we created a field called positive organization scholarship. It's about flourishing in life individually, collectively, as groups or as organizations. The research and the findings over the last 20 years are exhilarating. When we teach those, we have high paid, highly educated executives sitting there drinking it in. And then I say, okay, what are you going to go home and do differently on Monday? And they get a panicked look on their face. <laughs> they can't imagine applying what they've just learned because, and what they've just learned is full of exciting change possibilities and change tactics and things they could do, which they're actually quite interested in. But the notion of grasping those is terrifying. Uh, I have people regularly walk up to me after a session and say, I work in a blank organization, an education organization, a finance organization, a medical organization. Therefore, I can't do anything. And it's an absolute universal assumption that I am powerless. And I know I'm powerless because I proved it in the past. I tried things. I asked the principal if we could do this, and the principal jumped down my throat. I am powerless. I know that to be the case. And so that's universally held in, in all hierarchies. What we have is evidence all around us that what we believe is not true. And if we actually wanted to know that, the easiest way we can do that is to begin to learn from excellence. One of the most exciting studies I ever did was a study of public schools. Um, I had access to the top 1% of the public school teachers in the state of Ohio. They were objectively measured. These were people who were simply uh, walk-on-water people. You'd send your kid to this person's class. And they would teach fourth grade. In June, your kid comes home doing seventh grade work. It's impossible. But the fact is, the school systems of the United States, we'd look at every thousand teachers, there's one teacher who's doing that. If one teacher's doing it, that means it's possible. That is, if it's out there and it exists, it's real. That person somehow is violating everything we know to be true. It's impossible to teach like that. It's impossible to flourish in a in a big medical or financial or other kind of hierarchy. I'm just a low-level person. And so the question is, what's real? Yes, most of what we see is in the middle of the curve. It's conventional. It's not exciting. It's not exhilarating. It's actually dying. But if we look at the far right side of the curve, we see very different things happening in the same hierarchy. And I'll give you a real example. One of these teachers was at the end of her career. She said, I retire this year. For the fast last five years, because of these measures that have been out there, I've had a lot of attention. She said, but I've been teaching like this for 30 years. Not once in the last 30 years has an administrator from this district ever walked in my office to see what I was doing. Never once. Now, let's pause. Where was that administrator for the last 30 years? That administrator was in his or her office solving problems. That's what managers do. 
So the administrators dealing with all the problem people in the district all day long, every day, year after year. That administrator never watches this woman teach. That administrator has no theory of social excellence, no theory of what the what great teaching looks like. The administrator's never seen it. So when that administrator makes decisions day to day, what's his or her reference point? It's the middle of the curve and the left side of the curve. It's problems. It's full of constraint. It does not aspire to excellence. And so what we're talking about is not some given administrator. We're talking about everyone. We all tend to learn from the middle of the curve, and we block out the right side of the curve. And the way you change things is you begin to learn from excellence. You begin to learn and aspire to that which is well outside the norm. I, I went on way too long, but that's a, that's my uh, shortest answer. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I, I love what you're saying about the way you change things is begin to learn from excellence. And I think that's so important. That's why I started this podcast. That's why I do the masterminds, the, the coaching program that I do with, with other principals is that if you, if you're surrounded by um, mediocrity or you're in an environment where your district is not pushing you to change and grow and do and be better, um, it's easy to be complacent. Like you said, our reference point is the middle of the curve. And as certainly as a school leader, that's what we're dealing with so much is we are, we're taking care of the problems that are happening and not taking the time to celebrate and be around those who are really great, which is why anyone who's listening to this podcast is doing exactly what you're talking about. And I think that that's really an important thing for everybody to to be aware of is that you have to be seeking out that excellence um, in order for you to to be able to have that growth and change that you're looking for. Yeah, I love the way you said that because we are in fact all looking for growth and change and meaningful life. We want that, but something blocks us from going after that, and that's fear: fear of failure, fear of embarrassment, fear of whatever. And we build all kinds of mechanisms in our heads and in our institutions to manage to the avoidance of failure. And principals learn or begin to believe that their biggest role in life is to prevent conflict. When there were value-added scores, and that was, you know, of course, highly argued over, but uh, when they, in fact, had a lot of uh, potential application, and we saw that, but we also saw these you know, this tremendous political turmoil. We uh, brought a, together a group of these high-performing teachers, and they said, why did you bring us together? And we said, what do you mean, why? Because of your scores. They said, what scores? We said, what do you mean, what scores? We don't know what you're talking about. The principals did not give the high-performing teachers their feedback. So we called the principals. What did the principals say? They said, oh, yeah, she's the best teacher in the school. But, yeah, I don't want to put that out there. It's going to cause conflict, right? <laughs> well, that's how all of us organize our lives. You do it. I do it to avoid conflict. 
Leadership is about creating conflict. You surface the elephant, you resolve the conflict, and you turn it into transformative cooperation. That sentence terrifies people. I say, I don't know how to do that. So we're talking about changing deeply held assumptions that drive the educational process in the public schools, in the universities, and in everyday life. I want to just think about that for a moment because it's so powerful to think that leadership is about creating conflict and then turning it into transformative cooperation. As as I've been a leader and seen different ways that I could, you know, help people change and grow and do better, every time it has led it has started with that conflict and I didn't think of it in that perspective before. But now that I look back and think about the people that I'm closest to, that I feel like we grew the most, where there really was some transformation in them, there was conflict in the beginning of that. And uh, one person that I'll mention, Tana Martin, who's a um, a librarian up in Alaska and is just amazing. Uh, When she came to my school, I remember over the first couple of weeks, there were times where I made her cry multiple times. And... I hated that, but at the same time, I saw so much potential in her that I knew it was worth it to, to bring up that situation and, and, and let her be frustrated for a moment. But I got to tell you, Bob, she just, the way that she changed and the way that she improved her life was so inspiring that I, she's someone that I want to work with the rest of my life because She's not, she's not afraid to push back on me either and say, well, this is what you're doing wrong. And that's what I think is just so valuable, but it's so easy to avoid that and just try to prevent any kind of conflict. And so I really appreciate you saying that. I love your account. Let's just think about your account. (laughs) You say, I could see so much potential in her. So what was the driving variable? It was the realization or the actualization of potential in that woman. That wasn't selfish on your part. It was selfless. That was love. Now, let's think about the difference between great teachers and good teachers. Not bad, not normal, but good and great. We know scientifically that there are four variables that define transformational people, whether they're school teachers or CEOs. Number one, they use idealized influence. That means they're selfless. They're models of selflessness. They don't have an agenda. They've transcended their ego. Number two, individualized concern. There's an authentic, genuine concern. You looked at that woman and you had concern for her. Number three, inspirational motivation. You link people to their best future. That's what you did. Number four is intellectual stimulation. It's a lousy title. But what it means is you constantly, instead of telling them what to do, you're constantly using inquiry. You're asking them to think for themselves, to empower themselves, to behave in new ways according to their own volition, on their own choice. Now, that's what stimulates transformation in every system. That's what you did to her. Let's go back to the study of the public school teachers those school teachers didn't have jobs. They had callings, right? Their calling was not to teach math or history or English. It was to realize the potential in the students in their classroom. 
the purpose was to create, was not to learn the English or the math or the history. The purpose was to develop the love of learning. If I get my kid to love learning, that kid's empowered all their lives. That kid could be from a terrible situation, a minority neighborhood, and it doesn't matter. The kid's going to make it because the kid loves learning. Now, these school teachers marched to a different drummer. They had to fight the school to do what they did because the school didn't want them doing it. And kids flocked to them. The classroom, they, they would say, uh, you know, the average teacher says, my kids don't want to learn. They're from that neighborhood. These teachers said, my kids are from that neighborhood. My job is to create the, the, the interest in learning. That's not the kid's job. It's mine. These are people who are not marching to the drum of convention. They're not externally directed. They're not responding to the school the principals created. And the same thing holds for principals. The principal that's transformational is not creating a culture that the school district's creating. It's, he's creating or she's creating their own culture that's aligned with the needs that exist in the real world at this minute. Yeah. And, and when you talk about it in that sense, what I'm, what I'm seeing is the, the potential for people really comes out and takes center stage, their ability to grow and develop reaches a higher level when that is the case. And, and I really appreciate that because I think there's so many opportunities for us to give in to the status quo, to uh, relinquish the potential that we see mostly because we're avoiding conflict, but also because it just seems like there's not enough time in the day. And sometimes there is, um, if you have all these things that you need to get done, then just surviving to the next day is sometimes all that you can think about. And that doesn't sound like a recipe for success. It sounds like barely surviving, which, you know, is really that slow death. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. That's a perfect description. Now, you're describing every human being on the planet. That is, we are all subject constantly to the slow death pattern. So we're not condemning anybody. This is all of us. Now, there's a way out. And it's a simple, simple question. Robert Fritz wrote a whole book about this question. 
And the question was, what result do I want to create? Now, people say, oh, I ask that question all the time. No, you don't. The question most of us ask most of the time is, how do I get what I want? And what I want is to be comfortable. I want conflict to go away. I do not want disruption. I don't want to think and I don't want to learn. When you ask the question, what result do I want to create? You've instantaneously linked your identity to an emerging future. The only way to resolve the tension is to step into uncertainty, engage in learning by faith, and create the future that doesn't yet exist. The moment you start to do that, your entire being changes. Your learning accelerates. You live in total commitment. Every one of the school teachers in the study we did had, the, had a higher purpose, and they were driven by it. And so every day, and then they had you know 20 years experience, 30 years experience, but every day was a new day. And when a kid came in that couldn't learn and who was disruptive, the solution wasn't throw them out of the class. The solution was, oh, I have a new challenge. How am I going to turn this kid into a learner when the kid's been traumatized their whole life? That's a very different orientation, but it makes a huge difference in your own life. If you're living for a higher purpose and every day you're trying to enact it, which means you're going to have many failures every day because you're trying harder than the teacher in the next classroom or the next principal in the next building. That means you're going to have failures, but the failures don't bother you because of each failure is a teacher on the way to realizing this purpose. Why am I on the earth? What's my mission here? What's my highest purpose? The research shows that people who can answer that question garnish a long list of benefits. They don't die as early. They live longer. They don't get this disease. They don't get that disease. They don't get that disease. They have richer social relation networks. They, uh, they make more money. Every possible payoff you can think of is scientifically correlated with living a purpose-driven life. Because the moment you embrace a higher purpose, you've transcended your ego. Instead of trying to satisfy your ego, you're now serving the community. And you're part of a greater whole. And you're learning and growing. The same thing holds for a person in the middle of a corporation. doesn't matter what organization we're talking about. When you talk about a teacher or an educator having a calling then that's them buying into that purpose-driven life and and saying, you know, I'm not just here to to teach a class. I'm here to teach students. And uh, I, I served a mission for my church in Russia, so I speak Russian. And one of the things that fascinated me when I was just a young man <laughs> was that the, the way teaching is described in that language is that it's not I teach kids. No teacher says I teach. I teach a specific subject. They say, I, I teach kids to a specific subject. And so kids are always the subject of that verb. They're always the one that we are, we are teaching them. And then we take them to the subject in the same way that you would say, I go to the store, you use the same 
uh, declension in the, in the noun, which implies that I go with the kids to that, not I'm a math teacher. You would, you wouldn't be able to say that in Russian. It doesn't make any sense. You can only say I teach kids to math. And the, the way that you, that you approach that really uh, highlights that you have a purpose, that it's not about teaching a subject. It's about teaching kids. And that's a small thing, Bob, but I think it's so important to lean into that purpose and to make that more important than we typically feel that it is, that that really is, that matters a lot. And it allows you to do things that you typically wouldn't do. And what I've seen is great teachers and great leaders are often breaking the rules and not doing the things that they're supposed to. And in education, we're often a lot of rule followers, but those who are making changes really have to break the rules to make that happen. Can you talk a little bit about the need for breaking rules? Yes, I can. The moment that you commit to a purpose, you just moralized your life. You're now operating from your conscience, right? And the, there are many secular theories of moral development. And all of them include the shift from, uh, include the transcendence of ego. You grow up as a dependent person. You internalize lots of expectations from a given group. You leave your parents because you want to be independent. And then you join some gang and you dress exactly like the gang. You're highly dependent on them. But then there's a moment where you find out who you are and you become free of the culture and you begin to pursue your real identity. It's always a call of conscience. Thoreau described it beautifully. He said, when you take that leap, then you begin to separate things. When you act from principle, you separate church and state. You separate, he names a number of things. He says, you even separate yourself. You separate the diabolical from the divine. Your best self begins to emerge. And so you're moralizing yourself. You're tying yourself to service to the higher good. And when you do that, now your logical mind, your imaginative mind, and your conscience are operating together. You feel like you're whole. You feel like you're one. Your interest now is in the good of the community, and you go out to serve the community, pursuing your higher purpose. And you have cycles of experience. You go up and down in those cycles. You fail, 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 and then succeed. As you do that over and over again, you begin to put those experiences together, and you develop an overarching theory of transformation. You develop transformative power, and it's exhilarating. One of those, there was one woman I interviewed. She was a fourth grade teacher. She said, I went to my first day in my first class. I looked at these 30 fourth graders looking at me. I thought, I'm a long way from the ed school. And she said that, but there was one belief I had from the ed school that stayed with me. It was, if you want to be a really good teacher, you need to know the needs and interests of each student. She said, so I went to great lengths to learn to do that. Well, I was impressed. I was writing that down. She said, then I went to the next level. I, my head snapped up. I said, next level? She said, yeah, I went to the next level. I said, what does that mean? 
She says, well, then I discovered they're all the same. I said, you just told me they were all different. She said, they are all different and they're all the same. You see, no matter what they say or do. Now, let me repeat that. No matter what the students say or do, comma. Every student wants to learn. Every student wants to succeed. Every student wants to be loved. When you break that code, everything changes. You can teach anybody, old or young, special ed, gifted, doesn't matter. Now, just ponder that incredible claim. Here's a young woman teaching fourth grade, and she believes that she has a universal theory of influence that will work anywhere. And what's it based on? It's based on not just individual empathy for each kid, but collective empathy for the whole. And that allows her to serve that community in ways the teacher in the next room can't serve them. And she is this enormously empowered woman. Well, I find that to be an inc just incredibly instructive account and pretty much holds for every teacher we interviewed. Well, and in my experience as an educator, that is exactly what I have seen as well. And kids will fight against what we're doing in school, but that doesn't mean they don't want to learn and they will resist the, the lessons and the opportunities, but that doesn't mean they don't want to learn or be successful. It just means that maybe they don't want to do it in exactly the way that we want them to. And separating those two things has been essential for me in finding any kind of success as an educator, because when you put those, when you assume that a kid not wanting to read a book you're assigning in class means that they don't want to learn, then you're shooting yourself in the foot and you're, you're never going to be able to reach that kid because you've already made the judgment about what they want. But when you take it the other way, like the teacher did and say, no matter what kids say or do, every student wants to learn that, that is totally the truth. And then it's a matter of you trying to find the way to, to connect with them so that they will learn from you. It couldn't have been said any better. I mean, that's exactly right. If that, if the one kid doesn't want to read your book, there's a hundred possible reasons why that might be the case. My natural inclination is to see it as a rebellion against my authority. And I can't think of anything that would attack my ego more than that. And so I have an enormous need to exert control. But the real question is, why? Why does this kid feel this way? Now, the kid's afraid to tell you why. So unless the kid trusts you, unless the kid absolutely senses that your purpose is his good, that kid's not going to tell you. And you're going to go on giving assignments that the kid's going to resist all year long. And you're just going to keep, as you said, shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be that way either. And that's the thing that I hope that people hear from our conversation is that as the teacher, you're still in control. You can still decide how you're going to react and what you're going to do. And just because somebody is resistant to 
the plans or methods or strategies that you're using doesn't mean that all hope is lost. And, and taking this to the next level with principles as well, that just because your teachers don't want to do the change that you want to do doesn't mean that they don't want themselves to be successful in their craft. And one of the things that I learned right at the end of, of being a principal before I left to be a consultant was that the biggest thing that that my teachers wanted was to be authors in that change. And if I could give them the opportunity to be authors in the change, then they were much more willing to engage in it themselves. So for example, when I stopped saying, this is how we have to change and started asking, what are you ready to change? Then it it made it possible for everybody to be involved in that. And those who were afraid of change and didn't want to do it, then they weren't changing very much, but they were deciding that rather than me saying, you must do this or must do that. And it really made the things I want to do much more accessible because of taking that shift in in approach. So what you were doing is you were asking each teacher what result you want to create. And some had very exciting visions and some had one inch visions, right? But you were committed to helping each one of them pursue what it was that they wanted. Now, that's the first step in unifying a community. Now, there's many more steps. But then you animate a community. As, they, as you put together the things they want, as you nurture them from day to day, a transformation occurs. Think about the movie Stand and Deliver. Right? There's a ghetto school. Jaime Escalani walks in there. It's nothing but resistance in the early times. But then, step by step, something starts to change. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's a new culture in the classroom. Now, take any education movie from Hollywood. They're all transformational movies. Each story seems to be unique and different. They're all the same. It's always about the transformation of the culture. And that transformation holds for corporations. It holds for military. It holds for everybody. It's the transformation of negative peer pressure into positive peer pressure. When everybody is pursuing the common good, when everybody's realizing potential, all of a sudden a new culture emerges. And in that new culture, everybody expects everybody else to give their best. The moment that happens, if I'm a principal, my job radically changes. I have no need to police anybody any longer because the police function just went into the group. There is no negative deviance. Now, that is shocking to the conventional mind of, of a manager they, because they can't imagine that. But that's what we see when organizations are at their best. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up uh, Stand and Deliver uh, because I was able to interview Henry Gradius, the principal of that school, who made it so that Jaime Escalante could do the things that he did really well. And he, he did exactly what you're talking about. And so if you are if you haven't heard that interview, it's in the links uh, at jethrojones.com slash podcast. So make sure you uh, check that out because it's so fascinating because one of the things that he 
uh, that he talked about and talk about a calling at 83 years old, he was still teaching Spanish uh, to local high school kids um, and was just a, <laughs> uh, Henry Gradius was just a powerful example of someone who's really doing doing the things that, that we're talking about here. And so he said, one of the things is making sure that recognizing that other people said this can't be done. And he said, well, we're just going to do it anyway. And Jaime wanted to do it. So we're going to make it happen. And everybody thought um, that they were, you know, doing crazy stuff, but really they didn't change any of the district policies. They just interpreted them in their own way to make all the things that they did at that high school work, which, you know, is going back to that idea of uh, transcending the rules and understanding that what we do matters and we're policing it ourselves instead of, you know, trying to like rally the school board to change different things when you don't really need to do that. You just need to interpret it in a way that makes your cause work because your cause is obviously just. Um, That's right. But in the process, there will be resistance everywhere the people you're trying to reach. If you're a principal and you're trying to get the teachers to do it, there'll be teachers in your face, actually uh, just blatantly upset with you. Uh, If you start to succeed and all the teachers buy in, now you're going to have problems to the district because the school's doing things other schools don't do. And it's a problem. It doesn't fit the hierarchy. Parents are going to complain about something because there are new patterns. That is, for you to create social excellence, you are creating a new order, and that disrupts existing orders. And that is the conflict we talked about earlier. You can't be afraid of that, and you will be afraid of it unless you've internalized the purpose you're pursuing. And so those guys at Garfield High School had a really clear vision, and they were getting up in the morning full of energy ready to fight the fights they had to fight. And that holds in any organization. Absolutely. Well, this, is, this has been a great conversation, Bob. I feel like I could we could go on for hours. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I do want to respect your time, though. And my final question is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? That is a, a spectacular question. My response is, you sit down before you ever go in and you say, what result do I want to create? Now, most people can't answer that question. It sounds like an innocent question, but it's not. And so there's a larger question underneath it. And that is, why am I on the earth? What's my purpose in life? What's my mission in life? When I die, how will the planet be different because I'm here? So as a principal, am I here because this is my job? I get to feed my family because they pay me X dollars, and that's the reason I get up every morning? Or do I have a purpose on the earth? Do I love learning? Do I love fill in the blank? Do I have a vision of the impossible? Do I have a vision of every kid passing the AP exam in Garfield High School or whatever it might be? And if I answer that question, here's 
the result I want to create as a principle. Now I have an image to organize my life to that will give life to my life. It will give life to others. It'll give me a reason to face the problems in the day. And I will face them. And I will learn my way to a new social reality. That one simple question changes everything. Now, if you want three additional questions, it's what result do I want to create? Am I internally directed? That is, do I have integrity or hypocrisy? We all have hypocrisy. What's it mean for me to have integrity? How does my purpose link to my deepest values? The moment I answer that, I begin to generate courage. The third question is, am I other-focused? Am I living in empathy for those teachers who don't want to cooperate? Do I know why the student won't read the book? Until I know that, I can't succeed. And the fourth one is, am I externally open? And what that means is, am I humble enough to co-create the future with other people? To co-create the future with others is to be in a conversation in which we're listening to each other. They listen to me because I authentically listen to them and they know it. And as we communicate, we are co-creating a new culture. What result do I want to create? Am I internally directed? Am I other-focused? Am I externally open? You answer those four questions in every situation, and you will be a new principal. Not next week, but today. And the four questions apply all day long in every situation. They turn you into a dynamic hole that's aligned with the larger dynamic holes of which you are a part. Everybody can do that. Even people who know they can't. Yeah, I especially appreciate that last bit that everybody can do that. And when you do, it you're right. It it totally changes your life. And and I appreciate that. Um, if you'd like to hear more from Bob Quinn, RobertEQuinn.com is his website, and you can check that out. And uh, Bob, just want to say thank you so much for your time and for being part of uh, Transformative Principle Podcast. Well, Jethro, I would just say what you're doing is of enormous importance, and I appreciate being part of it today. Thank you. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. And it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.